Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. If you have listened to this program before, you know that as a general rule of thumb, though I make reference to news events from stories, from from coverage that's out there, I will refer to it generally and speak to it specifically from myself rather than this various material, (laughs) than reports and news stories and so on and so forth. But I am going to make an exception in the case of some columns and articles from the Daily Signal, which is not only affiliated with the Heritage Foundation, but it is a publication, an online publication of the Heritage Foundation. I'm going to do so with their permission. And so I will be using greater degree of material than is the usual case. I will not just be making spot reference and then providing commentary on it. I will be using a greater degree of material than is my usual want. And the first item that I'm going to discuss is from a column by famed economist, professor of economics at George Mason University, Walter E. Williams, and he is a columnist for the Daily Signal. George Mason University is outside of the Beltway in Fairfax, Virginia. Walter Williams' column, it is titled... Colleges, a force for evil. He states that in a recent Brookings Institution poll that suggests that nearly half of college students believe hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. Now, when he says hate speech... He's referring to what has been labeled as being hate speech. Okay? So if you happen to have convictions, unshakable convictions, morals, what used to be known as social mores, and you speak from such things, you act on such, well, then you are, of course, guilty, de facto guilty of tantamount hate speech and so on and so forth. So needless to say, all of my programs fall under that category. Uh, But he says that nearly half of college students, according to this Brookings Institution poll, believe that hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. It's unconstitutional. There is no protection for it. And the significance of it is this, is that then if it is not guaranteed by the First Amendment, if it is not protected by the Constitution, even though it explicitly is in the Constitution, unlike the unassailable right to slaughter pre-born babies in their mother's womb, then it should be, of course, permissible to shut down this hate speech, right? To quash it. 
And it is interesting just how far these college students go with regard to this. For instance, even though it said nearly half of college students believe hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment, I think that's an understatement. It would seem that it's more than half because then it goes on to say that 51%, which is more than half, of students think that it's acceptable to shout down a speaker with whom they disagree. About 20% of students hold that it is acceptable to use violence to prevent a speaker from speaking. Permit me to repeat that. Let that sink in. About 20% of these enlightened, intelligent, knowledgeable young people who are the future of this nation, who are privileged with attending college, university, they believe that it is acceptable to use violence to prevent a speaker from speaking. (laughs) It's permissible to use violence to prevent someone from speaking when they view that speech as being hate speech. It's permissible for them to hatefully, violently attack a speaker to prevent them purportedly using hate speech. These are these intellectual young people, right? Intelligent, intellectual, open-minded, truth-seeking young people, right? This is the future of America and the world. The best and the brightest. Over 50% say colleges and universities should prohibit speech and viewpoints that might offend certain people. So, if there is speech that might offend one in a thousand colleges and universities, according to these young people, should act to prohibit such speech. So tell me, what speech is it that is not going to offend anyone? Hmm. Because I guarantee you, the speech that these young people laud and applaud and promote and espouse deeply offends me. I'll go beyond that. Not only deeply offends me, but deeply offends God. How can you say that? Oh, my gosh. What a terrible thing to say. Are you saying you're God? No. But I do know God's word reasonably well, (laughs) based on, on his word, on his authoritative word, and his Holy Spirit, not based on man and man's dogmas and doctrines and traditions. And I know... What he says regarding what offends him. But this nation is chock full of institutions of purported higher learning. All manner of them, everything from professional for-profit schools, to community colleges, colleges, universities, universities with their specialized graduate programs, many times of which are then housed off of the main campus, here, there, and the other place. Divinity schools, theological seminaries, Bible schools, which are akin to colleges, all manner 
of institutions of higher learning across this nation. And while it has been accepted by by those in this nation who have some idea of what's going on, that it's been accepted for many decades now that the Ivy League schools, the Harvards and Yales and Dartmouths and Browns and so forth, Cornells and UPenn, uh, you know, uh, alma mater of Donald Trump, the president, University of Pennsylvania, but that these institutions are elitist and leftist, I would say to the core, others would say, wait, that's, you're being too harsh. You're painting with too broad a brush there. Well, no, (laughs) they are leftist to the core. But that's not to say that everybody that is accepted into them and everybody that graduates from their programs is a leftist. No. But it's been accepted that they, in particular, are leftist institutions. But interestingly enough, for decade upon decade upon decade across this United States of America, land-grant state universities from Maine to Washington to California to Florida and everything in between, and Alaska, and Hawaii, have been absolutely rife with extreme hardcore leftist propagandists, indoctrinators. Doesn't matter whether it happens to be Oklahoma, or Kansas, or Nebraska, or Iowa, or if it happens to be Deep South, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, whether it happens to be the Southwest or the Northwest or the Northeast or the Due North or the Rocky Mountains, it doesn't matter. Sure, there are some places that are particularly notorious, but University of, take your pick, They all are pervaded with this. Penn State University is terrible, terribly left. University of North Carolina, Charlotte, extremely leftist. But you find it nationwide. So... Okay, well, of course, I mean, if you can accept that, you don't have to accept it. It just happens to be true. But this is also true in theological seminaries and divinity schools, so-called. Are they all that way? No, but a very, very great number of them are, a definite majority of them. And Christian colleges, so-called. And Bible schools. It's, they are pervaded with the teachings of people who happen to be fundamentally, foundationally at odds with God and his word. Now, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, you know... So what? So what if they are not in lockstep with the Bible and with God's word and so forth? Hmm. So what? Well, just this. (laughs) The foundation of all truth is the truth giver, God Almighty. And no, this is not one of my preaching programs (laughs) or teaching programs. This is my news talk, public affairs program. But, I digress, but the foundation of all unassailable, unshakable truth is God. But all of these outstanding thinkers, they assail God's 
truth all the time. Every day they live with regard to these extreme leftist professors, they are engaged in warfare, intellectual, if you want to call it that, but frankly, propaganda warfare against God, against his Christ, against his word. The reason that that is so important, well, there are so many reasons. One, it offends God greatly, and it brings the judgment of God on this nation. But in addition to that, the founders of this nation, no, not the true founders. The true founders were the pilgrims and Puritans. I know, I get an argument from multitudes on that, but it happens to be true nonetheless. But those who are referred to as the founders or the founding fathers interchangeably, they were virtually without exception people of faith. Yes, there were the Aaron Burrs. <laughs> There were the exceptions, but there were the Benjamin Franklins, uh, who, in my view, was a libertine. But I think it, <laughs> in some respects, he'd fit right in today very well. But they were people of faith, and the faith was based on knowledge, reasoning, understanding of God's word, understanding of the great classics, and so forth. These were learned people, knowledgeable, learned people. You would never know it from (laughs) to hear these professors, these quack professors give their versions of history. You'd never know it. But the Founding Fathers, as a group, were exceptionally, exceptionally outstanding. And many of them inspired by God. Unfortunately, they used language that was very floral, as I put it. Flowery, floral, and indefinite speech to frame any number of things. So what they put in the Constitution, freedom of religion, in fact, does not translate to what they meant. So too with regard to cruel and unusual punishments. They never dreamt that what has happened would happen with regard to such things. But their view of government was based, unfortunately, in part, on the Roman Empire, on the Macedonian-Grecian-Roman Empire. And thus, it embraced teaching and understanding of so many people who were somewhere between agnostic to atheistic to false god worshipers. But in addition to that, They based it on God's word. But so it's an admixture. It is an adulterated mixture. But when these professors, when they indoctrinate these young people and they make them their marching legions of minions, they lead them in opposition to all eternal truth and opposition to all righteousness and godliness and goodness and decency and faithfulness and honor and nobleness, not to be confused with nobility. I'll get back to Warren's column here in a minute, but let me digress. 
once upon a time long, long, long ago. I was in college, and this is before postgraduate studies and so forth, but I was in college, in a university, in one of the ones that I attended, and I was coming down the home stretch, and I needed to plug and play a course in here as an elective, and I ended up, out of curiosity, taking a course in human sexuality, so-called. Now, this course only met 16 times as far as the big group audience sessions wherein the professor gave his performances. But there were also workshops. But again, 16 sessions, 16 times that I recall. And the group, uh, the number of people in the course on any one of these offerings that they gave was somewhere in the vicinity of 300, I believe. That's how I recall. And they had, I don't know how many offerings of this course. Let's say a half dozen per semester. <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of people. Maybe 200. But what I found was that most of the students, and this was not by me going and questioning them, but it, it came out, was that most of the students there were either juniors or seniors. And having to pick up an elective, and that fit in their schedule, and they thought it would be an easy course or whatever. Well, this professor, he gave a test at the beginning of the course. And the questions were designed to find out where the students were in their beliefs, their convictions, their morals, their mores regarding human sexuality. And he published the findings. Okay, the next class or whatever. And then he did a repeat of that at the end of the course. Then again, published his findings. And it was fascinating to see the change wrought in beliefs, convictions, morals, mores in that brief span of time of three and a half months or whatever amongst young people that predominantly were at least 20 years of age. And what happened, and this again, this is decades ago, what happened in terms of this shift is at the beginning of the course, and I don't have the questions, I can't give you the specifics, but at the beginning of the course, the overwhelming majority in the class in which I was believed that sodomy was wrong. That is, what is referred to as homosexuality, lesbianism, and the whole bag of tricks. That it was fundamentally wrong, immoral, unnatural, perverse. By the end of the course, if I'm to believe this oh-so-honest, honorable professor the majority in the course now believed the reverse, that, that sodomy was acceptable and natural and normal and so on and so forth. Again, this was not 18-year-olds. This was predominantly young people that were 20, 21, 22. And these were young people that, again, were only subjected to this class if you throw out the first class in which the test was given and you throw out the last because the results were given at the last. 
Then you're looking at 14 class sessions, and they were moved dramatically from where they had been to where he wanted them to be. The reason that I mention that is just this. Once upon a time, long ago, I believed that, not that anybody told me this, but I believed that if you were not subverted, corrupted, and what have you, by the time you left high school, you would be by the time you left college. I've had to adjust that. In light of what has come down the pike, I've had to adjust that to be that if you're not subverted, corrupted, and perverted by the time you leave junior high school, middle school, you will be by the time you leave high school. And frankly, at the rate that it's gone, it really needs to be moved further to be if you haven't been subverted, corrupted, perverted by the time you've gotten through fourth grade or whatever because of this extreme, radical, corrosive, pervasive indoctrination that young people are subjected to. And not just once a week for 16 weeks, but every day in the school year. And then, not just there, but in the media, what they hear in the news, what they see in the news, what they're exposed to by social media, by the entertainment industry, yes, by the news media, yes, by the schools, yes, but also social media. And, of course, the cross-pollinization or fertilization from their friends, their schoolmates, and so on and so forth. So, with regard to this matter of college as a force for evil, yes, Yes, I say yes to that. That is true. But that didn't happen yesterday. That's not something new. This has been going on for decades. But back to Warren's column. And I'm only going to share parts of it, statements from it. By no means the whole, the totality of it. But let me just share here from a few sterling examples of educators across this nation. UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, history professor Mary Corey told her class, quote, Capitalism isn't a lie on purpose. It's just a lie. She went on, she added, capitalists, quote, are swine. They're bastard people, end quote. Okay, so tell me this. If I is a host of a program, a radio program or podcast or whatever, if I were to label a group of people, a class of people, a demographic segment of this population as being swine, bastard people, do you imagine that I would be hearing about it? (laughs) You know, that, that... My gosh, if I said something like that, I'll be, you know, sacked by a radio station, dumped by online, and this sort of thing, right? But, you know, interestingly enough, this is not hate speech here by Mary Corey. No, this is enlightened educational prose here from Mary Corey, not hate speech. Capitalists are swine. Doesn't that ring a familiar bell? It is remarkably similar to the Black Panthers labeling all police 
as pigs, right? Isn't it? How is it different? How does this differ from that? This woman, she is a socialist to the core. And her values, if you can call them values, are socialist. And socialism is anti-God, anti-Christ at the absolute core, in its DNA. But then English professor at Montclair State University in New Jersey, this fellow, he told his students, quote, conservatism champions racism, exploitation, and imperialist war, end quote. As a statement of fact, just like Mary Corey's statement of fact regarding capitalists. Fascinating. And yet, (laughs) how is that the case? Racism, exploitation. Hmm. And yet it's he and his fellow professors that are describing those whom they hate in the vilest terms that they can. Well, a professor at California State University, Northridge, and Pasadena City College teaches that the role of students and teachers in ethnic studies is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. You know, I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) I just don't. To comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. But it comes down to who are you describing as being the comfortable? That's where the rub comes in here. And according to these people, it's perfectly okay to use these universities, these colleges that receive massive funding from the government, from the federal government, state governments, and of course, from students, parents, and students, and what have you, perfectly okay to devote themselves to indoctrinating, propagandizing, brainwashing, those whom they are supposed to be teaching, mentoring, what have you. University of California, Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara. The School of Education emailed its faculty members to ask them to consider classroom options concerning the Iraq war. They suggested excusing students from class to attend anti-war events and to give them extra credit for writing about it. Do you remember? Probably not. It goes back so far, but back during the Vietnam War and back during the time of the Black Panthers when they were at their height, there was violence on major campuses in this United States of America, very notably in the state of California, with students taking university buildings captive, holding hostages, so on and so forth. But here we have the university academia and leadership in charge of promoting this. There is much that Warren Williams talks about in his column, which I'm not going to get to, but I just, I recommend it for your consideration. It was dated August 8th. And again, it's entitled College is a Force for Evil at Daily Signal. But colleges, universities, 
are not alone in this. Again, it's high schools. It's prep schools. And middle schools, junior high schools. And all the way down to grade schools, elementary schools, in which children are systematically indoctrinated. Not only by spoken word, but by what they read in their common core curriculum, what they are subjected to in exercises, what they are subjected to as far as public humiliation from teachers and administrators, and how they are downgraded. Perhaps you've never had the experience of taking a course at whatever level, It happens to be whether it's elementary school, secondary school, whether it happens to be higher education, whatever. But where you know in taking the tests or in writing the papers that you will be downgraded, you will be punished if you do not give them the answers they want. It can go further than that. Once upon a time, again, my little story, when I was in college, one course that I took uh, was, you know, you would think very neutral. It was in business. And it was in marketing. And going into the very end of the course, I had an A grade. And the last thing that we were graded on, supposedly, was a presentation. And we were in groups, and I think there were three of us in the group. And it it fell to me to provide uh, the majority chunk of that presentation. And it was the best presentation in the in the in the course, in the class, and I wound up with a a grade of a C in that course, which just happened to alter my GPA and so forth. I stupidly, I went to talk to the woman teacher about it, and she wouldn't do anything about it. I didn't take it up higher with the dean or whatever, but she took a dislike to me. Now, this was decades ago. This is before I was as... uh, unlikable as I am now, you know. But even though I never espoused anything about Christianity, about religion, about morals, mores, anything in that class, she exercised her prerogative to subjectively hammer me, give me the worst grade that she could. Of course, the only way I could get a C on that was then if the report was, I don't know, D or F, which, of course, the others in the group didn't get. But there was no investigation. It's just the way it turned out, you know. But my point is that kind of thing can happen and does happen. I'm not the only one that's ever happened to And no, it wasn't because I was black. And no, it wasn't because this, that, and the other thing. Right? I was downgraded by a white woman professor, associate professor, assistant professor, whatever, because she could. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And as I've said, as I make a point of saying, everything that's good or right or true in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus. Everything that's wrong, lacking, erring is due to me. Well, moving on from this article by Walter Williams, I've mentioned time and again about the very sad situation with regard to the kidnap-rape situation with Molly Cecilia Tibbetts in Iowa. And every time that you see anything about it, it's always referring to it as being rural, rural, rural 
beautiful farmland Iowa, even though it's immediately off of this federal interstate, Interstate 80, and very near to a few other interstates, Interstate 35, and I believe another one is either 70 or 74. But she's a student, college student there in Iowa. Well, here, the University of Iowa, heartland United States of America, breadbasket of the United States of America, University of Iowa, how much more conservative can you get than that? How much more, you know, just apple pie, all-American, obviously Christian influence can you get than University of Iowa, land-grant state university? Not some elitist, leftist, Ivy League institution. Okay? Not, not that sort of thing. Well, guess what? The University of Iowa chapter of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA has been deregistered and kicked off of campus for not conforming to a university rule that clubs must eliminate a faith-based Preconditioned to serve in leadership. So let me go over this. This university rule, the university emailed InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on June 1st. It instructed them that they had until June 15th, two weeks, to change their leadership structure to change their leadership selection practices or suffer the consequences, be deregistered, be eliminated from being permitted to meet on campus. Now, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, as it is at a great many universities across this nation, And it has been there at University of Iowa for ages. Okay. But University of Iowa's leadership, in its infinite wisdom, decided to exercise its prerogative to cleanse the campus of Christian witness of Christian influence. Quote, the university further stated that intervarsity student leaders could not even be strongly encouraged to agree with intervarsity's faith, end quote. So here you have a Christian religious student organization being denied the right to choose its leaders that it views as being deserving, fit to be leaders, all right? Instead, it has to choose leaders who please the university. It has to choose its leaders irrespective of what they believe and therefore of what they will do once they are in leadership. What part of intellectual honesty is there in this? It's a lie, it's a sham, it's a fraud that this has anything to do with intellectual freedom. It's the exact antithesis of that. This is what you expect to find in Nazi Germany, in the Soviet Union, in communist China. Except, of course, it would be more extreme. They would just march them all out to a concentration camp. But 
This is not an isolated incident. Meanwhile, the University of Iowa, again, exercising its prerogative, it has exempted other organizations, sports clubs, fraternities, political organizations, yes, political organizations, from any such rules. But here we have InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which to my surprise has apparently only been there for a quarter of a century, being forced off campus. You either comply or you cease to be here. Resistance is futile. Well, there's a lawsuit uh, pertaining to this. And be hearing more about it, no doubt. But that, too, was from the Daily Signal. Again, a publication of the Heritage Foundation. Now, because time is running down, I don't know how much of this I'm going to get through. So I'm going to go past something else that I really wanted to touch on. And I simply won't, uh, because time will not allow. I'm just afraid I won't get through it. So, if my computer will stop uh, misbehaving, let me just touch on this. It is with regard to a great political family in the United States of America. And that is the Cuomos, Italian immigrants, Mario Cuomo, late Mario Cuomo, former governor of the great state, the great, great, great state of New York, which is a truly beautiful state and impressive in so many ways, but the opposite of impressive in terms of political, political everything. (laughs) It's... uh, Taxation, its laws, which pertain to taxation, its political stranglehold by the Democrats, just so many things. But Andrew, one of the sons, one of the famous sons of famous Mario Cuomo, who is, in a manner of speaking, a successor to his father since he is governor presently of New York, He was at an event on Wednesday, and he said the following. And (laughs) I'm using his words, so please don't, don't get upset with me about the poor English. We're not gonna make America great again. It was never that great. Okay. We have not reached greatness. This is all direct quotes. We will reach greatness when every American is fully engaged. We will reach greatness when discrimination and stereotyping against women is gone. And every woman's full potential is realized and unleashed, and every woman is making her full contribution. Well, Andrew, (laughs) I don't know if your former wife would agree that, uh, one of the Kennedy girls, whether she would agree that... uh, that your actions agree with your words concerning your exceedingly high view of women. But this idea that women are being so discriminated against, they're being stereotyped as being women. (laughs) Terrible. Uh, And they're being so discriminated against, aren't they? And that's why the majority of college students nationwide 
are female. And that's why there are so many executives across this nation that are women. Not to mention now high-ranking officers in the military, very high-ranking. Not to mention Supreme Court justice after justice after justice. Not to mention federal judges, U.S. senators, congresswomen, governors, and presidential aspirants. And the list goes on and on and on. And, of course, exceedingly highly paid entertainers and what have you. But they are just suffering such terrible discrimination. It's just, it's just a blight. It's just terrible. America has never been great. No, it will be great when women are in charge. Yes, when every single solitary woman's full potential is realized and unleashed and every woman is making her full contribution and therefore is being rewarded for that. I don't know about you, but I have never, ever been paid a cent to do any of the things that I can do the very best. Never. It's always cost me to do those things. Whether it happens to be broadcasting via radio, TV, creating programs, preaching, teaching, never paid to do those things. I've always had to pay to do those things. But what about all the other men whom he doesn't care about? They don't need to reach their full potential. No, they don't need to realize their potential. They don't need to be rewarded for so doing. No. Because he's a politician and and a leftist, extreme leftist, and he is, of course, demagoguing and pandering and trying to elicit the support of this particular demographic. If and or when he thinks he needs the support of men, he will turn on the charm on them. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now. If we choose to, the question then is, will we? Thank you.